Hey, tourpreneurs, it's Mitch Bach. And just a quick note before we begin today's episode, Tourpreneur is currently sponsored by Google. We're thankful for their support of our community, and we are offering with them a completely free course helping you unlock the power and potential of Google's Things to Do program, which is specifically helping tour operators add their tours to Google in new ways that gives you new exposure and more direct bookings. To learn more, go to tourpreneur.com slash Google. And as always, show notes, more resources, links to our newsletter, our business coaching community, and so much more are available on tourpreneur.com. Now to the episode. That same manager called me again, said, Josh, we got another complaint. I'm starting to get concerned. And then a few days later, she called me again and she said, there's another one. What are we doing to make sure that we don't get any complaints? And I was completely floored by that question because I take the opposite approach of, hey, we need more complaints. Welcome to the Tourpreneur Podcast. Travel industry veteran Shane Whaley will take you on a journey with fellow tourpreneurs, sharing their tips, ideas, insights, and success stories to inspire you to make your tour business the best it can be. And now, please welcome your host, Shane Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 27 of the Tourpreneur Podcast, where we flatten the learning curve to help you grow your tour business and delight your customers. And delighting customers is a big part of today's episode. I got chatting with Joshua Liebman. He has more than 13 years of experience in the theme parks and attractions industry. And as we all know, in tours, experience, and activities, there's a lot of overlap with the theme park industry, with attractions. And Joshua, so he specializes in guest experience training, guest experience feedback, mystery shopping, quality assurance consulting. So he works very closely with theme parks and attractions to go in, mystery shop, evaluate, and work out how they can create an even better experience for the guest. And I know all of us, all of us tourpreneurs are always wanting to create the best experience we can for our guests and customers. So I thought it'd be a lot of fun to chat with Joshua today on the show because he has a lot of experience in this space. I ask him what he's learned by evaluating theme parks and attractions that we can, as tourpreneurs, implement in our business. He's also a fellow podcaster. He has a great podcast that I enjoy listening to called the Attraction Pros Podcast. And I know there's a lot of you uh, that are listening to the show who do work in attractions and theme parks. If you're not checking out their podcast, I would recommend it. And also, even if you don't work at attractions, there's a lot of overlap between what we do here. So, you know, go subscribe, check it out. And it's a bit like with Tourpreneur. You know, it's a smorgasbord. Some episodes will appeal more than others. Um, do go check out Josh and Matt's podcast. I'll add all the show notes for today at tourpreneur.com forward slash 27. Before we cross over to Josh, just want to say I'm really excited to be attending Arrival Orlando this year. I will have a makeshift studio at the Speciality Space, which is right by the networking lounge. If you're going to be in Orlando, please come over and say hi. I love chatting with listeners. And I'm looking to interview tourpreneurs. They're going to be quick rounds. You know, Jim Cramer does the lightning round. Well, you should see me do the (laughs) the equivalent. No, it won't be quite that stressful. But 10-minute interviews, just about what you're learning at Arrival, a bit about your business, etc. So do come over and see me at Arrival. Anyway, um, let's cross over to Joshua Liebman. Joshua, welcome to the Tourpreneur Show. How are you? 
Doing great, Shane. It is great to be on your show. I have been binge listening for the last couple of weeks or so, and I am loving the content you're putting out. So it is it is great to be a guest here on your show. I'm humbled by that because, you know, whenever people take time out to listen to a podcast, uh, I appreciate it, especially with everyone in our industry who are, who are very busy. And particularly for yourself, because before we get into the content today, I really want to pay you and your co-host a big compliment because you recently celebrated your 100th podcast episode. I know. It makes it sound like we know what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you certainly sound like you do. And you've got some fantastic guests. And I really want to talk a little bit more about the Attraction Pros podcast a little bit later on the show, because there's a lot of crossover here with attractions, with tours, with activities, and especially when it comes to the guest experience. And you know, one of the reasons I invite you onto the show is I'd really like to learn from what you've observed when you're evaluating a guest experience that our listeners who are tour operators can actually learn and implement their own business. So before we do that, maybe you want to walk us through uh, your work at Amusement Advantage and, and what you guys are up to. Yeah, absolutely. So to give you just kind of the, the high-level overview, Amusement Advantage has been in business since uh, 1996, working exclusively with the attractions industry. So that includes everything from destination theme parks uh, and amusement parks, water parks, uh, everything into zoos, museums, aquariums, family entertainment centers. A couple of years ago, we started getting into the trampoline park business. We're very wow. big in the bowling center business. So really, it can be summed up with anything uh, tourism, recreation, and leisure focused. And uh, we are a mystery shop company. So for the organizations that we work with, we send in guests anonymously to evaluate the full experience. And really everything that their guests are experiencing while they're visiting that attraction or that location, we are providing a deep dive, very detailed analysis of what that looks like. Everything from prior to the visit when they are uh, looking for information online, if they're calling ahead of time, uh, if they're reserving over the phone, we evaluate that. Everything to their arrival, including parking, uh, admissions, it could be uh, museum exhibits or it could be rides, depending on, on what type of business that we're working with. All of the interactions that their guests are normally having with their staff we evaluate it and the attraction gets a, a very detailed report that breaks down both objectively looking at it from a, a binary yes, no standpoint with as much objective binary criteria as possible, as well as their opinions and their perception on how their experience was and suggestions for improvement and what their most memorable moment is. So we've been doing that for uh, well over 20 years within the attractions business. I've been working with the company for a little over four years, about four and a half years or so. And I run the company's consulting division. So in addition to working with clients from a mystery shop standpoint, I also help them uh, in a number of different ways as far as feedback analysis, using their guest feedback, whether it's coming from internal channels or online review sites. I do a lot of work with TripAdvisor reviews and helping them understand how they benchmark against their competitors and uh, across time from month to month as far as what their guests are saying. And I do a number of, of training workshops as well. So talking about guest experience with their frontline staff, as far as exceeding guests' expectations, uh, resolving service failures and complaint resolution, and then also conversational selling from the standpoint of using the guest experience to drive higher sales and revenue so that they have a higher per capita spend, 
not done through a salesy standpoint, but really tying it in with why the guest is there and what they want to experience and being able to give them a higher value experience that results in more money for the operator. Wow. It's one of those roles that to the outside world sounds a very glamorous job that you get to go to around the world <laughs> and turn up at attractions as a mystery shopper. I'm sure it's, it's really, really hard work. Don't get me wrong, but it does sound <laughs> a, a fantastic role. Yeah, absolutely. So our uh, our mystery shoppers, we've we've got about 30,000 shoppers within the US and, and, and a little bit in Canada. And a lot of them are doing this, whether it's in their free time. Uh, many of them are, are not doing it full time, but a lot of them are doing it, whether it's their nights, weekends. We have a lot of teachers, a lot of stay at home parents, a lot of grandparents and retirees. And it's a perfect opportunity for them to be able to not just make a little bit of cash in their free time, but really to be able to have these experiences with their families and that they're able to be compensated for it in exchange for, you know, when they get back home, once they're, you know, once they're done visiting the attraction or doing the experience that they've got, you know, quick deadlines and quick turnarounds to be able to to provide um, their detailed narratives and the detailed report. But it's a great way to make a little bit of side cash and uh, and to be able to have fun while you're doing it. No, absolutely. So, there were five areas we wanted to talk about today because there is a lot of cross-pollination, if you will. That's a big word for tourpreneur. <laughs> <laughs> um, between tours, activities, and attractions. So first of all, we, we wanted to dive into defining your guests' expectations. Um, can you walk us through that, please? Yeah, absolutely. So one thing that I, I work with my clients on, if we're talking about exceeding your guests' expectation, we first have to define what exactly that is. And this applies whether it's a zoo, a museum, aquarium, a theme park, a walking tour, a bike tour, a running tour, what, you know, whatever it is, however, whatever it is that you are providing to your guests, being able to define what that is, is something that a lot of people don't necessarily do on a regular basis. So for instance, if I'll ask, you know, a, a group of staff members, you know, what do your guests expect, you know, when they come here? Well, they expect to have fun. They expect, you know, friendliness. They expect kind of a lot of vague topics, but really then kind of breaking that down and saying, well, are they doing this because they need to or because they want to? And the, you know, the obvious answer, of course, you know, we are in the tourism industry. It's because they want to. But the reason I even present that, if we're talking about defining the guest's expectation is that's not something that is always going through your mind every single day. So if let's say, you know, whether you are a tour guide or whether you are a ride operator, you are working with guests day in, day out, that's part of your normal routine. So it's very easy to lose sight of the fact that this person doesn't need to do this. This person could be doing anything else. And then I even walk them through kind of these concentric circles of saying, you know, who's your competition? And being able to say, okay, there's direct competitors. So for your listeners, there's other tours within the geographic region that you're working in. And then there's indirect competitors. So it's something that that they can be doing with their leisure time, with their dollar that might not fall into the same exact competitive space. So going to the movies, going to the beach, you know, going to a, a different type of tourism or recreation based venue you know, it's it's not considered to be a direct competitor, but it's still occupying their time, occupying their dollar. And then beyond that, kind of this everything else. So, you know, I like to say, do you compete with Netflix? Well, not directly apples to apples, but if I'm, you know, if I'm sitting at home and I'm just watching Netflix all day, well, I'm not on your tour or I'm not visiting your attraction. So wrapping that into what it is that the guest expects 
when they come visit you, they're coming to visit you because they have a high expectation. And that expectation is higher than all of your competitors and all of the other alternative options that they could be doing. And so that's kind of the the first piece of defining what the guest's expectation is, and then really breaking that down and saying, okay, well, let's look at it from a very functional standpoint and, and kind of a bullet point list of what your guests expect. So if your tour begins at 10 a.m., they expect your tour to begin on time, right? They expect that they are going to be safe on their tour, right? They expect that the tour is going to be efficient. They expect that they're going to be going to areas that are clean and well-maintained. They expect that their tour guide is going to be friendly. They expect that it's going to be an enjoyable experience. They expect that maybe it's an educational experience. They expect you know, X amount of donuts or X amount of slices of pizza. You know, I, I recently listened to, to it, yeah. like I said, your recent episodes. And so you kind of bring all that together. And before you even want to think about exceeding your guest's expectation, you, you have to cover all these bases first. So it's kind of like this is this is your checklist on just what do we need to do to meet that guest's expectation. And then beyond that is when I talk to my clients and when I talk to their staff about, all right, now let's talk about creative ways to go beyond that. Because if you go beyond their expectation before focusing on meeting it first, then odds are you're going to fail in some capacity. Because out of that kind of list that I gave you right there, you might be focusing on one of those aspects and, you know, going full throttle on it. But as a result, some other ones might be falling to the wayside. And if you do that, then it results in a, in a net negative experience and a service failure. And what have you seen in your experience where maybe you could give us a specific example of where someone has gone above and beyond when it comes to guest expectations? Absolutely. So when I talk about things like going above and beyond the expectation, if I'm talking about things that are like wow moments, as a lot of times they're defined, it usually breaks down into something that maybe they didn't necessarily have to do this. It didn't cost them anything to do it, but because they did it, it thoroughly exceeded the expectation. I'll give you an example here. I was mystery shopping a Ritz Carlton once. Actually, this was uh, this was several years ago. I used to I used to consult for luxury hotels and resorts. So I was pulling what up a to tough a tough job. What it, a tough job. Well, it's it's about to get tougher, as you see right here. <laughs> so I pull up to the property and I'm checking in, and uh, the front desk agent he's being very polite. He's you know he's using my name several times. He's personalizing the experience, and the process is very you know it's very functional. It's very efficient. And then, you know, he kind of stops for a second before giving me my key card. And he kind of sets back and, and he looks at his monitor and he goes, Mr. Liebman, I noticed you're only here for one night and we're, we're actually at pretty low occupancy tonight. So I noticed you don't have any spa appointments booked and, and that's fine. You can, you can book one if you'd like, but, but you don't have to. But what I'm going to do is I'm just going to activate your key card so that you can get into the spa if you'd like. And we have, we have a beautiful facility, the, the sauna, the wow. steam room, the whirlpools, the, you know, the pools out there. Uh, and I'm just going to let you use this if you want. You don't have to. You can book something if you want. Or you could just go do what you're doing here and whatnot. And so I thought about this and I was like, you know what? This was something that was really cool because that staff member, that front desk agent was empowered to be able to provide that type of experience at something that didn't cause a detriment to anything else. 
didn't really cost anything except for maybe, you know, laundering a towel or two that I may have used or, you know, the cost of a bottle of water. But it was something, I mean, this happened several years ago, and I still use this as an example in my in my workshops and in things like this to be able to say, hey, here's an example of going above and beyond for the sake of going above and beyond and providing a phenomenal guest experience. Yeah, that's a really good example. And when I go on tours, I try uh, two things. I try not, I try to mystery shop them because if I say, oh, I'm tourpreneur and I'm coming, you know, am I getting the real experience or is it, oh, a member of the media is coming. So we, you know, they tell the tour guides. Yeah, they roll out the red carpet for you. (laughs) Absolutely. And also I get a bit awkward when it comes to taking comps because this isn't Ritz Carlton. You know, you've got Tony, the Brooklyn pizza tour guy, you know, I mean, he's working hard to, to make a profit. So I tried just to turn up and, and book my tours. And there, it was a good example, actually, with Tony's Slice of Brooklyn bus tours when I turned up there. I don't know why. I, I mean, he must have had photos of it on his site, but it hadn't registered with me. I was expecting some mini bus thing that was you know not run down, but not top of the range. And it was a wonderful coach that turned up, air conditioned, you know, lovely seats, well kept. The driver was friendly, which is, you know, always a bonus. <laughs> and and the tour guide was just, you know, she went out of her way to make everybody who got on that bus made very, very welcome, made you feel as if you were part of the family, you were very special. And that was what resonated with me right away. And then I knew, oh, this tour is going to be a bit extra special. And I'm not just saying this because Tony was a guest on the show. And I really did feel as, as a paying customer that, oh, this, this is going to be a cut above. So I think you're absolutely right. I had an expectation, which was a functional bus that's going to take me to Brooklyn. But what turned up was, and you hear on the interview, he's always fighting with his bus companies because they give him a good bus and then they bait and switch him and give him some rundown things. So he's working very hard on that because you think about the guest, you know, if it was a rundown old bus right away before you even set foot on it, you're like, what's this thing? Uh, And your expectations are, are lowered from that. Yeah, and and all of those elements of the clean bus, you know, the the friendly driver, the the friendly guide, you know, all of that is really table stakes. You go in and you do that tour, and if everything just went according to plan, then you walk away feeling like you got exactly what it is that you paid for. But then the moments that create, you know, more shareable content that people are are posting on social media or posting online reviews, those are the moments where they said, okay, we understand what it is that we need to do to meet that guest's expectation. And now we're going to do X, Y, Z once we've done all of that to then go above and beyond and exceed it and create something that's going to be a lasting memory that's going to go far beyond the end of the tour. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. The other thing that Tony does on his tours was, uh, and I mentioned this because this is the last tour I went on, so it's much fresh in my mind, but there was a skip the line effectively with the pizza places you went to. And I didn't realize that, the, you know, like the first place we turned up to, they were lining up around the corner at 1130 to get in the place. I mean, it's very, very popular. <laughs> Whereas we just strolled on in to a point where the tour guide, Paula, even said, look, if anyone gives you any crap, just ignore it because they won't like the fact you're walking in. And immediately you're like, wow, this is a real VIP experience. Yeah. You feel like you're being whisked in and, you know, you're talking about guest expectations. I mean, Tony's had to sit down with those suppliers, uh, with those pizzerias and say, Hey, if, if I'm going to bring all these people in, I want them to get, skip the line. I want them waiting outside and he's running a tour. So I, you know, I'm just trying to understand, you know, from what you do in your consulting of, of exceeding expectation, how tour operators listening today, I hope what, what happens is they start to get the creative juice going and think, okay, this is the standard of a tour. This is where I can go a little bit extra. 
Yeah, absolutely. And to kind of, you know, use that example right there, I, you know, one of the things I do too is, is talking to my clients about how they can use their guest experience to drive not only higher sales and revenue, but stronger perception of value. So you get off that bus at that pizza place and you've got that line that's wrapped around the corner and you walk past that line and kind of have this, you know, this this sense of VIP, almost this sense of royalty at every single stop that you do that. That's just going to make that tour feel more and more valuable and frankly, commands a higher price to be able to do that. You know, one of the things that's very big in the theme park industry, because, well, we have long lines at, at just about every facility, and many of them are capitalizing that and, and monetizing that. And for instance, if you go to a Six Flags park, you can get the Flash Pass, which allows you to bypass the line. And, and you go there and you look at the entrance to the ride and it says there's a 90 minute wait. You might be there on a, you know, on a Saturday in the middle of the summer on a peak day. And you go, well, you know, it's a good thing I just paid like over a hundred bucks for that pass. And then you're just going right up to the front of the line. You are paying more and you are having a good experience, a better experience. And that's one of the things that, uh, that I see a lot because like I mentioned, I, I do a lot of work with TripAdvisor and with online reviews and particularly how value perception and price sensitivity are aligned. And here's one thing that has been really cool to notice over the years. And it seems to just continually reinforce itself the more I, I dive into this area of research and using guest feedback is that People who are most likely to praise the value of their experience are the people who have purchased your most premium option, and therefore they have spent the most money. The flip side of it is true as well. The people who are most likely to complain that you are too expensive, that you are not worth it, are the people that bought your most basic option and therefore spent the least. Absolutely. And and it's also, I think, Something that I, I see attractions doing very well, more so than on the tourist side. So, you know, I would always say to people that were visiting New York City, you know, a lot of British people come, they used to, the dollar's really strong now, but to come shopping in Manhattan, oh, I want to go to the Empire State Building. I'm like, whatever you do, book the skip the line ticket because you don't want to be stuck in August for two hours in a line to get up there. And, and it amazes me how many people, I mean, my friends, maybe they're cheapskates, but they don't buy the skip the line <laughs> and they end up crying about it to me like, oh yeah, we wasted so much of our time in a line. And you wish you would have gotten it. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, yeah, I know it doubled the price. Don't get me wrong. But when you look at double the price versus, well, that was three hours of a three-day vacation gone standing in a line, you know, that that value is definitely there. So it's sure. interesting to see how attractions are doing that. So let's say, and maybe I'm putting you on the spot here. So if I had a food tour, you know, you're, you're in Chicago. Let's say I had a food tour. We were taking you to lots of different restaurants to try different foods. I mean, what do you think in terms of an experience or to elevate the guest experience? What do you think a food tour company could do? Well, so that depends. It could be something that is either related to that food that that, that guest is on that tour for, or it could be something that goes beyond it as well. So if you're looking to exceed expectations, if you're looking to drive higher value perception, then it generally comes down to giving them a little bit more than what they paid for in a sense that allows them to take away a greater experience than they expected while acknowledging that that expectation is very high because of what we talked about you know, at the beginning, their, their alternative options are endless. So if you're a food tour, you know, maybe there is a way to work in 
movie trivia or movie facts of, of, hey, by the way, while we are going here to this pizza place, we're passing this spot right here where the scene from this famous movie took place. And I know that it's not part of the tour content. It's not what you guys, you know, came here to see, but I always have to point it out because it's so interesting and so exciting. You know, things like that, basically. Yeah, and it's funny. I, I see this a lot on reviews and, and maybe it, it's the Brit in me, but I think also maybe a way to improve the guest experience is not to bang on so much about tips. So I see this a lot with, with tour guys and I get it, right? Especially in the United States, tips is a thing here and it's not so much in Europe. But I, you know, I read a lot of TripAdvisor reviews where people say, oh yeah, great experience, but the tour guide mentioned tips like 10 times. Oh. And you know, I was surprised actually. I went on the in your hometown there, and, the, and went on the Chicago Architecture Riverboat Tour, which was fantastic, by the way. I can see why that gets much plaudits on TripAdvisor. Absolutely. And they didn't ask for tips the whole time, and I really do feel that you know that really did help the experience. I think is the same with the Slice of Brooklyn tours. They don't ask for tips either, and, and it's tricky, right? Because I understand that the tour guides, you know, they they live off tips. And gratuities, but I think it, it if it's overdone, I think that's an area where maybe the tour guide isn't thinking about the perception of how that actually comes across, particularly to non-Americans. Absolutely. And it's something that needs to be communicated if if you want to communicate to your guests that you accept tips and you make your living based off of tips, then then there are ways to communicate that in delicate but definitive ways. So for instance, if you are in the process of booking the tour to kind of put, you know, in the price, you know, tips are always welcome, but you know, never required or something like that, you know, does not include optional gratuity or whatnot. And then you mentioned you, you know, you've seen a tour where they asked for tips or they mentioned tips 10 times. I think that's a little bit of an overkill. I, I, the best ways that I've seen it is at the end of the tour, as the tour guide is wrapping up and thanking everyone and kind of giving everyone kind of a sincere send off to be able to say, you know, we want to thank you so much for coming on the tour, for coming and visiting us today. As you probably know, you know, we make our living based off of your generosity. So there is nothing required. But if you do decide that you would like to give a little bit more, we'll be waiting at the end to, you know, to shake your hand regardless or something like that to thank you. So Something like that is I've always seen as to be the most appropriate way of of being able to handle that aspect of it. Yeah, absolutely. Or, or use some humor to get around it. But, you know, it's interesting. I bring it up because I, I look at a lot of TripAdvisor reviews and, and I see that a lot where people mention that as, you know, they've had a great experience, but they felt a little bit the guy kept asking for tips. Want to connect with other tourpreneurs? Then join our Facebook group at tourpreneur.com forward slash Facebook. So let's change tracks a little bit. And something that I know you, you mentioned that you deal with a fair bit is on the topic of complaints and complaint resolution. So what tips would you have for tour operators who are listening in today when it comes to complaints? Absolutely. Well, the, the first piece of it is to acknowledge that complaints are not a bad thing. Complaints are absolutely crucial pieces of information that allow you to improve your business. And there are stories that I tell of, of several years ago where I was, a, I was a manager in a theme park and uh, another manager I was working alongside called me up and said, Josh, we, you know, we got a complaint. Uh, and I said, great, thank you, and, and called the guest and we worked through it and the guest was very satisfied. And a few days later, that same manager called me again and said, Josh, we got another complaint. I'm starting to get concerned. And then a few days later, she called me again and she said, there's another one. What are we doing to make sure that we don't get any complaints? And I was completely floored by that question 
because I take the opposite approach of, hey, we need more complaints because we need for our guests to be able to tell us what it is that they enjoyed about their visit. But even more importantly, how can we improve this experience for the future? So the two most important reasons why complaints are so important is one, that you'll be able to implement solutions and implement changes and improvements to your business for future guests. But it also gives you the opportunity to recover from that specific guest as well. And if a guest comes to you and tells you the complaint through an internal channel versus going on to TripAdvisor or other online review sites, then you really have not only an opportunity to make it right, but to actually be able to make it even better. And there is a lot of research that's been done around service failures and complaint resolution. And there's this concept called the recovery paradox. And what this says is that if a guest has a poor experience and they complain about it and you fix it and you fix it correctly and properly and doing it in the correct ways, that their level of satisfaction after having gone through that experience is oftentimes higher than guests who come and visit you and have a normal satisfactory experience. So not only is it not the end of the world when a guest complains, but it's also an opportunity to create a potential lifelong loyal advocate who's now going to post a very positive review online. And they might say, hey, we had an issue on our tour because we expected this and it, and it fell below, but Shane took care of it. And we are so happy with how professionally he worked with us to make sure that, that he was able to you know, win back our business. A review like that isn't a negative review. That's basically acknowledging, hey, you're human. You're a business that's run by people. You're not going to be perfect 100% of the time. You should never expect that you will be. Of course, you want to be proactive. You want to be able to, to eliminate every single possible friction point or any potential guest complaint. But at the end of the day, especially as your business continues to grow and you are serving more and more guests on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis, there's going to be some people who are going to fall through the cracks. And when they do approach you and when they do complain, that's an opportunity for you to be able to, to take that and create something very special from it. And maybe you can give us a tip or two about, so you're calling up Jane Smith, who's made a complaint about, you know, the, maybe the tour didn't leave on time or the bus was poor or whatever it may be. How do you approach that call? And I say this because I think for a lot of tourpreneurs listening in, you know, we do take it personally because unlike Universal, which is a huge concern, or Disney, the tour is a family-run business or it's the tourpreneur's business. So, you know, it's hard not to take that criticism or complaint personal when you put so much into it. So what tips would you have when you're going to call Jane or John Smith to, to talk to them about their complaint based on your experience? Yeah. Well, the first thing that you mentioned is, is that they do take it personally. So the first step of that is, I mean, it would be very easy to just say, don't take it personally, but I'll, I'll take this a step farther because I've, I've seen this so many times where your passion and pride get in the way of helping the guest. And it's very easy to tell a guest that they are wrong when they are wrong, right? So the first step is, is letting that guest be right, even if they are wrong. And that is the, that is the hardest thing to do when you are so personally involved in it. And when you are impacted by this complaint, there's an example that I, I talk about if I'm talking about proper ways to respond to complaints online, that there is, it's a tour company. I won't say where it is, or I won't say what it is, but it's an animal-based interaction 
company. And they're, they're actually very highly rated within their region. You know, I, I was going through their TripAdvisor page once, and it was just so overwhelmingly positive that there was this one review that stuck out that, you know, that was a complaint. And it wasn't the complaint that I remember seeing this because this was now maybe four or five years ago that, that I remember seeing this review, but it was the response to it. And it was the way that the owner took it personally. The complaint involved something of, uh, you know, your facility was, you know, was very dirty. There was trash everywhere. You know, I, I could smell that animal waste every, everywhere we went, everywhere our tour guide took us. Our tour guide was not friendly. They were mean and we could, we could hear over the radio, we could hear the, the manager swearing and all the guests in the party could hear it. I mean, that's a pretty substantial complaint. The review's response said, you know, we're all shocked to read this review. It's like, okay, good. You should be shocked to see a complaint like that when everything else is so positive. And then it continues to say, because none of this is true. Our facility is immaculate. Our staff members, our tour guides are so friendly. Our manager would never swear on the radio, especially in front of children. And, you know, we are strongly asking you to delete this review. Something like that is not going to fix the situation. That guest who posted that is not going to read that and say, oh, okay, well, I was wrong. And neither is anyone else who's considering booking that tour to say, oh man, I can't believe that this person wrote this review, but clearly they're wrong in every single aspect. That's not what happened. What happened is that you look at it and say, all right, somebody had a bad experience and the response to it was way worse because they took it so personally. So that first step there is taking your passion and pride for your business and actually being able to set that aside and acknowledging that that's not an easy thing to do, but acknowledging that even if the guest is wrong, let them be right if they are coming to you with a guest complaint. Because if they come to you to complain instead of posting on TripAdvisor, then now you've got that opportunity to work with that guest and be able to set the record straight in time through going through you know, the, the process of service recovery so that it turns into a positive review and it turns into a guest leaving with a better understanding of what they initially may have misunderstood. Sure. And when it comes to online reviews, what's your advice around dealing with particularly the negative online reviews? So it's already been left, right? It's already been put on TripAdvisor or whatever. What's your advice around that? Well, the first is knowing that if you're getting this review online, you may or may not have been there in that particular instance, or you may or may not remember that specific guest. And perception is reality. So if the guest perceived the experience to be negative, again, it kind of goes back to it doesn't really matter if they're right or wrong, because now this is what has ended up online. So your response back to that should be something that really overpowers it from a guest service standpoint, but also allows that guest to be upset. So remember that you are, you are not just talking to this guest face-to-face, but now you are in this public arena where really all the world can see if they're looking you up. So the first is acknowledging that they're frustrated and expressing regret for what may have happened. And because you perhaps were not there, you want to apologize, but not necessarily for the cause of what happened, but for the effect. So think about this. If they say, our tour guide wasn't friendly at all. Let's use that. That's a subjective comment. So that's an opinion that they weren't friendly. Now, I mean, there's kind of you know points of friendliness that are 
uh, you know, that some are arguable, some are not, you know, and, and whatnot. But if let's say, you know, our, our tour guide Shane wasn't friendly, I wouldn't respond back to that and say, oh, I'm so sorry that Shane was rude or I'm so sorry that, you know, Shane wasn't friendly. But to be able to say that what they are saying happened doesn't meet your standard. So it doesn't acknowledge that it was correct or not, but it at least acknowledged that it shouldn't have happened. So if you were to say something like, I am sorry that you did not enjoy your tour to the level that you had expected, what you are describing does not meet our service standard because we pride ourselves on how friendly and how engaging our tour guides are. And if you experience something different, I apologize for any inconvenience that this may have caused. So notice the words that I stressed right there, if and may, that these are things that don't necessarily flat out acknowledge that it happened, but it also doesn't dismiss it either. It also doesn't say, no, you know, Shane's not a rude tour guide. He's, you know, he's incredibly friendly all of the time and you're wrong. It's not that. It's saying, hey, if that was the case, we apologize because you didn't enjoy the tour like you expected. Not we apologize for our rude employee. The attractions you work with, do you also advise on how to solicit reviews? Because that's also a big challenge in, in the tour world is we all want more reviews. Is that similar in the attractions world? Absolutely. Yeah. Our industry, and I mean that, you know, as one, we are driven by online reviews, or, or rather our guests are driven by online reviews. I saw a recent study by Forbes that said 90% of prospective travelers are heavily influenced by online reviews or that online reviews heavily influence their booking decision. So you absolutely need to be focused on, on soliciting guests for positive reviews. And you know, there are, there are right ways and there are wrong ways to do that. And the biggest part of it, I would say is timing. Uh, The second part of it is, is which channel are you most focused on? I primarily work with attractions who the majority of their reviews are on TripAdvisor. I have found personally that Yelp isn't that great of a resource, at least for the attractions industry. Very good for restaurants. I, I can't comment on, on specific tours, but I think that that TripAdvisor and Google reviews, that those two are probably two of the primary places where people are posting and where people yeah. are researching. So to be able to kind of identify, well, what's the channel that we want to drive our guests to? And what's the way that we want to do it? So the first is is being able to actually segment your guests. So if we need to do this complaint resolution for guests who may not have been satisfied, it's finding out who those unsatisfied guests are before we ask them for an online review. There are so many businesses that I work with where I'll read a review online that says, I had a bad experience, so I went up to this employee to complain, and they told me to post a review online because they're so involved with managing their online reviews. Wow. And I'm like, okay, wow. first of all, it's good that they're focused on managing their online reviews. Second, something is backwards here. Yes. yes. <laughs> so instead of saying, go post online so we can read about it, it's, hey, you came to me in person. We're being able to solicit feedback in general to find out whether guests are satisfied or dissatisfied. Once you've determined who your satisfied guests are, you should absolutely be saying, hey, We are heavily driven by guest feedback, and many people find our tour because of websites like TripAdvisor or whichever online review site you're focused on. So if you had an excellent experience, I look forward to reading your review online. And if you have anything that is less than a five-star experience, 
I am here. I'm going to be here, uh, you know, for the rest of for the rest of the tour, for the you know wh- whatever opportunity the guest has to be able to speak with you after to be able to share your feedback, so you can go into that recovery mode. Another small piece of it too is that that also acknowledges that not every dissatisfied guest is going to complain personally after the tour. They might still post that negative review. But if you are focused on segmenting your guests in that way, and the vast majority of your reviews are positive, then that negative review here and there is barely a blip on the radar. And there's another stat that I saw. I can't remember the exact source. I can't remember the number, so don't quote me on it. But it was somewhere in the 70s, like 73 or maybe 78% of prospective visitors or prospective travelers do not trust a perfect rating. So if you have an all five-star review, that actually doesn't necessarily work in your favor versus if you had like 4.9. It's like, come on, you've, you've been in business for how long you've served so many people and not a single one of them you know, had a poor experience while they're visiting you. That's more concerning than one out of 20 reviews being less than perfect. Yeah, and I think that's something we certainly see with online hotel booking, right? You can go through and a hotel is rated at eight out of ten, and there will be eight great reviews, and two they were a bit, you know, oh, it was dated or whatever else, and you think, well, yeah, but eight other people have said it's fine. So I, I think you're absolutely right. Did you know every weekday Shane curates the most interesting news articles in tours and activities and sends them out in a snappy daily digest? Grab your copy of the Tourpreneur Daily Briefing at www.tourpreneur.com. For you, I don't know if you can say this because, you know, you do consult with lots of attractions, but I'm really intrigued to know which attraction do you think right now delivers the best guest experience and and why when have you been completely wowed you know wowed oh man that is i mean that is a loaded question because i feel like i could we could really break this down into into various different segments you know if if you look at uh, you know the theme park industry disney still very much is the gold standard that a lot of people look up to and in fact, a lot of other types of attractions, whether it's specifically in that space or maybe in more cultural tourism or even in somewhere in family entertainment, uh, really look to that to saying, well, how can we be like Disney? So, you know, I, I suppose that's the that's the easy, obvious answer. Um, but if we were to kind of go a little bit deeper in the theme park industry, I'd say Hershend Family Entertainment is also a company that's known for very authentic, very genuine service. And by Hershend, uh, if you're not familiar with it, they're the parent company of Dollywood in Tennessee, as well as Silver Dollar City in Branson, Missouri. And you go to either of those places and you know you, you can tell they're not just churning through employees left and right, that there are people who have been there for so many years and they're there because they genuinely want to be there. And you can sense just a little bit, frankly, in, in some ways, it's better than Disney, which is which is so, I mean to say this in a, in a positive light, but so focused on making sure that everyone is friendly and smiling and happy versus people who are just genuinely that, that excited to talk to you. That's uh, one of the first examples that I could think of. I'd love to know what that training program looks like, you know, to get everybody that <laughs> happy and friendly. And, uh, <laughs> what they're giving them for breakfast. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's interesting because recently I, um, just talking about improvements, and I think this is what all of us can do as tourpreneurs when we are going to different attractions or even to hotels is look and say, what are they doing well? What can I implement in my business? And 
I went to a, a fairly new New York City attraction recently, which is Spyscape, which is a, an interactive spy museum. And I walked in there with some friends and you get the bag check. And the guy was rude. I don't know if it's rude. Maybe it was just New York rude. I don't know. But it, it wasn't a nice experience. You know, you got to get your bags checked, right? In this world we live in. But I thought, wow, my first experience of that whole attraction was, was not very positive. Right. He wasn't very friendly. They were lucky because I'd pre-bought my tickets on, on the tickets app. So you know, I was already going to go in there. But then I thought about it afterwards. And I thought, well, this is your world, not mine, by the way, Josh. But just, you know, I thought, well... If they dressed him up in a KGB outfit or a Russian uniform and made that checkpoint Charlie or something, and he could be <laughs> as miserable as he likes because that's part of it. It's an immersive spy experience, right? That's you go and theme. become a that's spy the in there. I'm yeah. like, <laughs> the guy could be as miserable as he wants. And you're like, whoa, it's part of the experience. It's like, you know, the full Soviet going over a border. <laughs> <laughs> the authenticity. You know, I mean, if you want to talk about a bag check experience that that yeah. has been integrated with the service standard. Look at Universal Orlando. You know, about four or five years or so ago, you know, a, a lot of the major theme parks implemented metal detectors into their into their arrival process, which is phenomenal. It was it was done purely proactively, uh, which has been you know just just so amazing to to see the industry. I mean, I mean, it always just has such a, a phenomenal safety standard, but there's always it's it's always just being challenged and saying, okay, well, you know, what what more can we do to to make sure that our guests are are completely safe while they're here? And a bag check process, if you you know, you think about TSA, you think about something that's not necessarily going to be the warmest, fuzziest experience. In some cases, there are. You go to a few airports, you know, I've I've seen very friendly TSA agents. Yeah, but I think Universal recognized this pretty early on to say, hey. This bag check experience, it's going to be required, and it's going to be required because of safety-related procedures that we're putting in place, but it's also the first experience that guests are having when they come visit the park. And if they have that experience that you had when you visited that museum of just, hey, here's a grumpy security guard who's checking my bag because they need to, you know, then it kind of puts you in a little bit of a funk when you now walk through and now you're supposed to be in this phenomenal place where you're having this amazing time. Universal did a great job of this where you walk into the the hub area. And I remember when they first announced it, I thought, how is this going to work? Um, this is going to completely slow down the arrival process. This is going to be a, a miserable experience. And then I got there and, and it couldn't have been farther from the truth. You go into the hub which uh, is kind of where the two parking garages uh, connect and, and everyone has to pass through it if you're parking in the main parking garage. And there's music playing like there always was. And there's staff members there and there's a concession stand there like there always was. And they're friendly staff members because they're greeting you. And now they've created way more checkpoints uh, or way more lanes open than you would see at the airport so you're actually barely not even waiting in line. You don't stop moving at any point and security is there and they are smiling and they are welcoming you and they are getting you through an efficient process. And by the way, oh, they're also checking your bags and they're reviewing the scanners and the metal detectors to make sure that everyone who's coming in is coming in there because they they should be there and they're coming there to have an enjoyable experience with everybody else. So that's their primary function. But there is no reason why you can't be providing an excellent service to your guests while you're doing the required uh, functional aspect of the experience. 
Yeah, it's, it's a slick operation. I like Universal. And, and something I, I will share with you as well that I, I admired about them, but it was really frustrating for me at the time. So this was when I was regional director for Get Your Guide and we were selling Universal tickets. And I really wanted, I forget what it was called. It was their skip the line fast access pass. And I'm like, oh, you know, we, we can sell those of those for you. And what about, you know, when people show up and there's not that many lines, they've already pre-bought, you've got that revenue locked in, you know, because I realized I really wanted that on the Get Your Guide site. They would not sell me that fast access pass at all because they said, we're not giving it to anybody because we really want to restrict the numbers of the fast pass, Correct. which at the time was frustrating to me as a sales director, but I respected it because it's like when you get on an airline now, some of the low cost, no, no frills airlines, you can buy priority boarding. Well, I'm waiting for the ticket that says priority, priority, priority boarding gets you above because <laughs> everyone's on the priority boarding, right? right. So uh, I always admired Universal. They were like, no, we're really going to restrict that supply, which says a lot for them. They do a very good job of protecting the inventory of it. And it's something that is very much demand-based. So it's seasonal pricing. Uh, if you go there on a Tuesday in the middle of January, you're probably going to pay the least for it. And there's the lowest amount of lines anyway. You go there the week between Christmas and New Year's, you're probably going to pay over 100 bucks a person for that pass. And they sell out on those days. And you're still going to be waiting in a long line. So it's it's a way to to be able to do the best they can with dividing out the crowds and at the same time optimizing revenue. And, you know, like you said, they they protect that. Like employees can't get discounts on that. I mean, they they don't give those away for free at all because they want to make sure that the people who are buying it are being able to get the value that they get from that. So, it, I mean, it goes back to the people who spend the most uh, will generally see the highest value in it, but you need to have those internal controls as well to be able to to maintain and manage that. Absolutely. And actually, it's funny thinking back to my, my trip to Universal because I'm a bit of a scaredy cat. I'm not very good with heights. I'm a big chicken. <laughs> and we got there and I think it was like a really end of season. So there was hardly any lines. And I would look up, I'd pull up the reviews of all the different rides. And I remember reading, there was one of the Harry Potter rides we wanted to go on. And the first review I read was someone said, yeah, my husband went on this and he was sick for the rest of the day. I'm like, right, I'm not going on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good to have that feedback, right? To be able to, uh, again, set the proper expectations. Uh, you know, the park, of course, is not going to tell you that you're going to get sick on the ride. Uh, that's not their goal anyway uh, for yeah, that to happen. Yeah. You know, especially for for something like Universal, and maybe this is, you know, a, a little bit kind of going off on a little tangent, but, you know, something like that where a lot of their rides are enclosed and, you know, versus say you go to Six Flags and the majority of the rides, you can stand to the side and you can watch it. You can decide, you know, am I going to do that or not? It's it's a little bit harder in uh, those heavily themed environments where you can't necessarily uh, see what exactly it is that you're going to experience. So you have to rely on that guest feedback to, uh, to yeah. help you make that decision. <laughs> but going back to your other comment that had I read the other nine reviews, they were probably like, oh, best thing I've ever done, you know, once in a lifetime. But no, as soon as I read that review, I was like, that's because I'm nope. a chicken, right? I'm <laughs> <I don't> not. <laughs> um, Never miss an episode of the show. Subscribe at torpreneur.com forward slash subscribe. So for tourpreneurs who are listening today and they maybe they want to improve guest experience for their tours, does your company work with tour operators or just attractions? Yeah, absolutely. We, you know, we work with anything that is in the tourism, leisure, you know, recreation space. So if you wanted to have a tour mystery shop, we can, you know, we can absolutely do that. We do work with a few a few tour operators, uh, a few boat tours, a few sightseeing tours, you know, a few safari tours, you know, things, things like that. Uh, cause ultimately, you know, you're, 
your goals are the same as operators in a theme park, zoo, museum, aquarium. You want to deliver a phenomenal experience for the people who are who are voluntarily coming to visit you and being able to set parameters in place as far as defining what your service standard is and then having a mechanism to measure it consistently uh, is something that's so crucial to being able to make improvements to the business. But also, there are really good short-term actions that our clients take as well. So for instance, you know, we we evaluate not just the experiences, but also the employees as well who are delivering those experiences. And I was just talking to a client this morning who's at an aquarium. And I, I said, well, you know, tell me a little bit about, you know, what you're doing with the mystery shops. And they said, well, our, our line level staff loves it because we incorporate our recognition incentives based on what the mystery shops say. Nice. So if if we have staff members who are recognized as outstanding team members, you know, maybe their their name is going to go into a drawing for a gift card or something like that. Or there's those recognition opportunities as well as coaching opportunities if they're falling below the standard and it's discovered from an objective third-party non-biased resource, then it's something that the that the client really has to their advantage to say, hey, this isn't my opinion, but this person said you weren't smiling and making eye contact. So, you know, it's it's not not a terminable offense, obviously, but it's like, hey, let's let's make sure that your your next mystery shop is going to be 100%. Absolutely. And our listeners can find you at amusementadvantage.com. Is that the best place to contact you for that? Yeah, sure. You can reach me at uh, josh at amusementadvantage.com. I'm also on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, you can reach me through either of those sources. My Twitter handle is Joshua underscore Liebman. So that's L-I-E b-m-a-n great and i'll add all those into the show notes for uh for our listeners who are on the move and i might not be able to grab a pen so i'll add that to the show notes i wanted to, to quickly talk about your podcast as well because i know we have quite a few listeners who who have that crossover and some of them are uh, our daily brief readers work for attractions as well tell us a bit about the podcast attraction pros podcast yeah absolutely so it's uh uh, like you mentioned at the beginning of the episode, we uh, we recently just hit our 100th episode. So we've been doing it for Fantastic. for just about two years now. And it was something uh, my my co-host and I, Matt Heller, he and I have known each other for several years. And we've kind of just been in the industry together for, for a while. And we've, you know, collaborated on, on a number of projects before. He's a leadership consultant. So he helps attractions develop their leaders and, and be able to kind of help bring frontline employees as they as they kind of graduate into leadership and being able to uh, manage those responsibilities and avoiding employee burnout and things like that. And uh, I tackle things from the guest experience side. So a lot of the things that we talked about today, expectations, complaint resolution, driving guest loyalty. So he and I had have just always bounced ideas off each other for, you know, uh, for a number of years and have collaborated in, in a few initiatives and whatnot. And a couple of years ago, he, you know, sent me an email out of the blue that said, Hey, you want to start a podcast? Uh, and it was funny, actually, because I, I had previously told him that I thought that he should start one. And he was like, No, I think you should start one. And then we both kind of left that meeting as well. Okay, well, <laughs> I guess neither of us are going to start one. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, we we reached out to some of our colleagues within the industry and said, Well, we can probably line up some pretty great interviews. So we've interviewed a lot of top leaders and executives and uh, founders and GMs and presidents throughout really both the operator and the supplier side of the industry. And when I say the industry, I, I mean attractions industry. We've 
We've had uh, zoos, museums, aquariums, family entertainment centers, water parks, trampoline parks. I mean, everything kind of under the sun that falls into the attraction space is what we focus on. So we talk about operational issues. We talk about guest service. We talk about leadership. We bring on guests who are who are experts in, in so many different areas. We talked about uh, marketing. Uh, the episode that just went out this week was about virtual reality. We've had a couple of episodes yes. where we've talked about VR in the attractions industry. Everything under the sun that that falls into the attraction space, we'll talk about it on the podcast. Yeah, I actually have uh, teed up on my app is your episode, I think Bob Cooney with with VR, because VR is coming into tours now and augmented reality and, and VR and stuff. It, it is fascinating that the technology that's coming through. So uh, I definitely recommend your podcast to our listeners, not just to those of attractions, but you know, the cool thing about podcasts is it's, it's like a buffet, right? It's like a smorgasbord. You go take a look at the back catalog. And go, oh yeah, I'm interested in, you know, subject A or subject B. I mean, I'm a huge consumer of podcasts myself and we're so blessed in this world to have this free content that we can go for a run and listen to a thought leader or an expert and someone who can really help us in our business. You also have a PDF that people can sign up for, correct? A free ebook, which is 30 ways to improve your attractions guest experience. Is that something you recommend that there could be some crossover for our tourpreneurs? Absolutely. It covers a number of uh, number of things similar to kind of what we've talked about here today, as well as, well, I, I don't remember specifically what they all are off the top of my head. <laughs> but, um, uh, but yeah, just just yeah. ways to to kind of focus on enhancing your guest experience. And uh, yeah, you can find that at attractionpros.com. And you can click on the link for the ebook. And then you can download that. And I'm, I'm always happy to chat about guest experience. If, if anyone wants to reach out to me directly. Like, uh, like I mentioned, you can find me on LinkedIn and on Twitter. Uh, and you know, with my email address, josh at amusementadvantage.com. I'm always, always happy to talk about the guest experience. Well, thank you for giving us the benefit of your experience today on the podcast. I really enjoyed hearing from you. I think guest experience is just something that many of us overlook because we're all focused on marketing and growing our business. But, you know, I always say to tourpreneurs, yes, it's about growing your business and delighting your customers. They're the two most important pillars, I think, for tours out there. So thanks for coming on and we'd love to have you back on the show again and uh, sharing more of your knowledge and expertise with us, Josh. Well, thank you, Shane. It was really great to be here. Thanks for listening to the Tourpreneur podcast. Be sure to visit tourpreneur.com to join the conversation and access the show notes, including links to the resources mentioned on today's episode. This is Tourpreneur.